again, what's going to really, what's really going to make the difference, what's going to produce moods of peace, ambition, joy, gratitude, everything else is getting exactly what you want. Hello, and you're with Aveline Clark on the Six Star Business Podcast, where we have conversations about what it takes to be six star as a six star leader in a six star business in a six star world. And in this episode, I am joined by Corey Sebest from Germany as my co-host, and we sat down with Kerry Pregian from the USA, a business coach with a difference in that he comes at it from a history and a background of understanding numbers, being an accountant, and yet he is entirely human focused and has a very unique perspective on relationships, how we work with each other, and also the way that he figures out who he should be working with and who not to. He really understands the psyche, human behavior, interrelationships, consciousness, and a whole lot more. It was a fascinating conversation. He gave us a lot of really interesting insights. And for me, and I know for Corey, it was a beautiful conversation that left us really thinking about the things that he mentioned in terms of our own businesses. And I know that that will be the case for you. So sit back and enjoy. And this is a great conversation with Kerry Pregian. So here we are, Australia, the US and Europe all come together for another podcast uh, episode. How are you, Kerry and Corey, my co-host? I'm well, thank you. Good morning. Excited to be back again. Good. Excited to be here. It's always good to have a, have a six-star business podcast conversation. Um, I'm very excited to have Kerry with us today. Kerry, so good to have you and thank you for joining myself and Corey. And uh, we'd, we'd love to kick this off by getting to know you a little bit. So if yeah. you could let us know, you know, who are you, where, where are you in the world? Uh, maybe who do you serve? How do you serve them? And what do you like doing when you're not busy serving people? Yes, Sam. Thank you. Uh, glad to be here. Um, I'm in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, I have strong Cajun heritage, so if I start to speak with my hands, that's where it comes from. Um, who do I serve? Small to medium-sized business owners. Generally, uh, I do CFO consulting, and, they, and I'm an executive coach. Uh, I help them get their uh, actionable financial data in line to where they're spending about an hour a week doing that, looking at that, seeing if they need to put corrections in. Also help them take the dysfunction out of their business as well as long-term strategic planning. Uh, I'm also a certified ontological coach. We can maybe get into a little bit of that later. And what I enjoy doing when I'm not working, I like cycling a lot. I, I, I used to be an avid cyclist and I've had through a series of knee surgeries. So I'm getting back into it now. I also love to cook. I made a lemon ice box pie today. So uh, yeah, um, you know, reading some vegetable gardening, that kind of stuff, nothing exciting. Well, well, I like all those things. <laughs> <laughs> and my mind went, lemon ice pie. How is that different to a lemon meringue pie? Well, lemon meringue pie is where you cook the, the lemon filling and you put it mm -hmm. in a pre-baked uh, shell. And then you do the mm -hmm. meringue with the egg whites and the sugar and you, sh you shape it on top and then you bake it all together. With lemon icebox pie, you put together egg yolks, uh, lemon juice, uh, lemon zest and sweetened condensed milk and you mix that all together and then you put that into a uh, 
a graham cracker crust in a spring farm pan. And you cook it for about 25 minutes and you freeze it overnight. And then it's great for summertime, which it is here mm-hmm. now. I mean, it's still spring officially, but it's already getting in the 90s. Here. We're, we're Africa hot in the summer. Is that is that a relaxing activity after a stressful day with CFOs? I'm, I'm sorry, what was that again? There's an issue here. Okay. I said... Is that is that your is that your relaxing phase after? Ha- um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I enjoy cooking. I really do. Uh, it, it can be very relaxing. Um, you know, as long as it's not like you're under pressure to get some meal presentation ready for holidays or something like that. But just cooking something like that for friends, yeah, it's very relaxing. Oh, lovely! It's good. We haven't had a, a recipe. Uh, on the Six Star Business Podcast before. So thank you for that little uh, <laughs> bonus, bonus there. Um, I'm fascinated to know a bit about you, Kerry, and what's brought you to this place now. I mean, uh, yeah, CFO, CFO services, my understanding is that they haven't been around for very long, but you've obviously got some kind of financial background, I'm assuming, to get there. Right. Yeah. Um... I, I came through the, an accounting background, accounting degree, CPA, worked for one of the big eight at the time. Now they're down to the big four. Um, was the back then the, the thing was that you're a controller or you're the secretary treasurer, chief financial officer in my career is relatively new. They didn't, they didn't have chief financial officer when I first got out of school. Um, and what I noticed was of what struck me is accounting, the traditional accounting perspective is it's always looking back. Like, this is what you already did. You know, here's your financial statements for last month, last year, whatever. These are the results. Here's your tax returns. Here's your whatever. What, whatever your financial reports are, when they do your uh, income statement, balance sheet, and statement of cash flow, and the accountant gives their opinion on it or the whatever, um, it's about what's already happened. There's nothing about, and this is what I recommend you think about doing or look at doing to improve profitability of your business, cash flow of your business, the financial strength of your business none of that it's always about in fact when i first got out of school the people who people i reported to were always telling me yeah if you're a good accountant you're a good good scorekeeper you know you're a good scorekeeper well scorekeepers only tell you what already happened but nothing about okay so how do you play the game better so i started looking for ways to you know looking at the financial statements looking at what's going on what can i impart what can i what what perspective can I give the business owner or those people in management? Like, this is what you do to improve things. Um, especially when it came to a lot of the dysfunction uh, that I saw happening in business. And it's, it's, let me back up a little bit. If you look at businesses, <clears throat> they are a network of conversations, right? You come to work. There are certain things you're expected to do. You know what you're, you know, to have some idea of what you're expected to do. Or let me work this way. The person who hires you or the business owner has an idea of what you're supposed to do and you have your own idea of what it's supposed to do and there's usually some amount of incongruency there. So what happens is, especially as a business owner grows their business and they grow more and more people, you cre- you tend to, they tend to create more and more dysfunction because business owners are very good, uh, the entrepreneurs, let me say, entrepreneurs are very good at seeing opportunity, taking risks, taking action, making things happen. They're very bad managers. What do managers do? Managers want to keep everything real steady, real boring, real repetitive, 
just keep doing what's supposed to happen. Don't try and change things. Don't try and mix things up. Don't, you know, don't do anything. So if you look at the skill sets of what makes a great manager versus what makes a great entrepreneur, they're polar opposite, you know, and it's, I've, I've never found one that's both great entrepreneur and great manager. I found one that were pretty good. I know of one person who's pretty good entrepreneur, pretty good manager, uh, but still has some blindnesses. So these entrepreneurs build these businesses and they're, you have all this dysfunction all over the place because you have all these different conversations that don't mesh up. So what needs to happen to take the dysfunction out is to get the people involved. Well, here's what usually happens. Here's the normal, the normal cure for that kind of thing. The business owner calls a meeting and says, this is a problem and this is how we're going to solve it. Anybody have anything to add? No. <laughs> the big boss just said, this is what we're going to do. And in the past, I've tried to offer some stuff and I've been shot down. So now I'm going to keep my mouth shut and we're going to try that. And when it doesn't work, you'll call another meeting and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And that, you know, that happens a lot and, and nothing really ever gets resolved. And what happens over time is the business owner finds himself chained as in a W-2 employee, basically, of the business because he's always putting out fires or she's always putting out fires, always handling the crisis du jour, whether it's cash flow, taxes, production, shipping, sales, whatever it is. They've got it micromanaged down to the point because it's their baby. And they live under the false impression that because I own the business, because I started the business, I'm the best at managing it. I have the most insight about it. And they don't. They're, they're, they have some uh, cognitive blindnesses about a lot of things that happen because they don't do the jobs day to day to day to day. They see it from an outside and think, oh, this is how you fix that. And it generally never works. Okay. I've, I've talked too much. <laughs> I mean, how... What, what you're facing literally is every, every time big egos in front of you and you need to have the sensitive skill set to overcome the egos yeah, and show them, guys, you're a little bit mistaken in how to run a business despite of founding the business. So do you have developed certain techniques to do that? Um, yeah. Generally, when I start working with somebody, we do, a, we do what I call an identity check. Like, give me, depending on the size of the business, give me five, 10, 12, whatever, 15 names of people you trust in the business. You can make, give me some customers that you know well. Give me some vendors that you know well. I don't care. However many people, I'm going to conduct an oral just conversation with them and ask them questions about you and how they see you. And what pretty much comes back is they're a bad manager and we don't trust them. <laughs> and it's kind of like, what? What do you mean they don't trust me? What do you mean I'm a bad manager? I've been managing this thing for the last 15, 20 years. Yeah, you've been managing it badly. And what do you mean they don't trust me? I pay them, don't I? Yeah, from a transactional perspective, yeah, you pay them, you do that, but not much else. They don't see that you have, they don't see that you, you have their interest in line with your interest. There's no mutual, I'm gonna take care of you, you take care of me. And that generally shocks them into, so, so what do I do? Okay, well, first you gotta get your bad manager and your people don't trust you. That's what you gotta get. That's, where, that's a good starting point. Declare yourself a beginner and begin to learn how to, number one, make yourself trustworthy. And number two, pretty much extract yourself out of management because you're a bad manager. You being a good entrepreneur, you going out and getting business, it's going to be much more beneficial for your company than you trying to learn how to be a good manager and unlearn how to be an entrepreneur. You're much more valuable to the company being a good entrepreneur and going out and getting business. Um, and the big thing about trust is, so how to get them to trust me? Well, you got, they got to get that you care. And right now they don't, they got to get that you're sincere and yeah, they can get that you're sincere. Like you mean what you say, like 
there's no, uh, oh, what's the word? There's no uh, angle of inauthenticity. In other words, what you're saying with your mouth matches what's in your head. And you can be sincere when you say that, but if they don't get you care, they don't care how sincere you are. They got to get that you're confident, that you can actually, you can actually uh, perform the promises that you make. You know, so paying them regularly, that's one of the promises. You're going to get a paycheck. That, you know, okay, so that's good. But in terms of are you, are you fostering their career, are you furthering their career, are you getting them training, or are you giving them good feedback? Are you asking them if there's anything they need? Is there anything missing? They ask them even about how their family, how they're feeling. Are you even tell them hello in the morning. You know, because if you don't do all that stuff, what they're going to get is you don't care. And the other thing is reliabilities. Can it, have you kept your promises over time? And a lot of business owners fall really short there too, in that they they don't keep their promises over time. They're always changing the rules of the game. They're always making it different. And I've seen this especially with salespeople, and it drives salespeople crazy. Okay, this is a, the commission structure, the bonus structure. This is your expenses, whatever. Somebody makes a really big year because they they change it. <laughs> Why are you changing it? You know, you made a ton of money, so did they. They they made a lot less than you did. Why would you change that? Well, yeah, I I don't want them to make. I don't want it to be too easy. Who cares? <laughs> so now you've disincentivized them. You pissed them off, and they're not going to have the same. You know, they're not going to want to work as hard because you're just going to change the game again. Anyway, so yes, that's that is that is the smack between the eyes of. They don't trust you and you're a bad manager. And when you get that, you can you can start with. And again, it, you, you know, you run into your occasional sociopath, narcissist who never their fault. It's fix all my people. I, I don't work with them. You know, you can't because mm. I mean, if you can try, you want to fix the people. But the culture of the organization, the mood of the organization, the way it's functional, not function starts at the top. And if that person is always blaming everybody else. You're gonna you're gonna have either mercenaries who show up just for the paycheck, right? Or you're gonna have people who have next to no self worth, dignity. So and they're just gonna they're used to being doormats, they're used to being the whipping post, and they're gonna sit there and take it. And these you know those kinds of managers, those kind of owners that you know constantly beat on their people, they kind of get off on it, you know. Uh, denigrating their people, calling them names, yelling at them, cussing at them. I, I, I can't work with that. There's nothing to work with. I mean, based, based on what you, what you said, to what degree you need to be savvy as a kind of psychologist? Because there is a lot what deals with self-reflection. You have alpha leaders in front of you driven by egos. They yeah. need to acknowledge, accept probably that they have been totally wrong over the past years. Yeah, so self-reflection is not the biggest, uh, how do you say, attitude, trend, skill, yeah, yeah, of an alpha leader. So, and uh, I think that's a pretty challenging situation to, to overcome. It is, but here's the thing. What are the best moods for learning? What do you think the best moods for learning are? Mood. The be huh? best mood for, did you say yeah, that's the best other, mood? We all yeah. have moods. We all have emotions, yeah. which are generally kind of superficial and temporary. Moods generally are in the background. You don't really see them, although people see your mood coming before you get there. Um, you know, people who are ambitious and, and grateful and at peace, they show up and, and depending on the mood you're in, determines the range of actions that you have available to you. So if you're like peaceful and ambitious and joyful 
and True. grateful, you're going to have a ton of potential range. If you're resigned, resentful, spiteful, you may mm -hmm. be focused on being a victim and trying to get back at somebody, trying to take revenge on somebody. So the range of possible actions is very much reduced. So if you're an alpha leader, as you say, and they're really committed to doing well, and they say they want a team of committed, loyal employees, and they want to take their business to the next level, and all that, I want to manage by the numbers, I want to be able to manage by 30 foot, thousand elevation, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, this is how you do it. Otherwise, you keep doing what you've been doing, you're going to keep getting what you've been getting, which is chronic frustration, you having to come in and be the fireman and rescue and tie to the business. You won't have time for vacations, you won't have time for yourself, you won't have time for your family, you won't be able to take a vacation, you're going to be a glorified W-2 employee slash owner. Is that what you want? Because if that's what you want, you got that. If you want something different, then you're going to have to be different, drastically different. If you really want <clears throat> loyal employees, you're going to have to get them to trust you. And a big part of that is you, they're going to have to get that you genuinely care about them as much as you care about you. You know, if, if it's all about you and your success and your business and your lifestyles of the rich and shameless, they're not going to really care. And I, I mentioned last time uh, Avalon and I spoke was, George Carlin had a, had a line in one of his comedy bits. He said, most people work just hard enough to not get fired and make just enough money to not quit. And that's the masses. That's the masses of people out there. They, they work just hard enough yeah. not to get fired, make just enough not to quit. You know, the, uh, the other quote I'd like to have go along with that, um, Thoreau in his book uh, on Walden Pond, said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. And that's exactly where these people are at. Mm. Quiet desperation, it's just the same day in and out, same day in and out for decades. And then they, you know, die, wait to die. I mean, they retire, wait to die. <clears throat> so what I try to do is bring something that's uh, more satisfying to the owner and to the employees that creates a much more effective team it creates that's why the whole thing is six star business appealed to me because five star is like generally the top rating right five star so six star is that that little that little extra generally it's only maybe one percent maybe two percent of the really standout businesses that everybody wants to work for everybody wants to emulate everybody wants to copy everybody wishes they had that business and and having these distinctions about trust and skill sets and building a team that's loyal to you, uh, as well as knowing where you want to go, in other words, what it's going to take to satisfy you, is what's going to put you there. Otherwise, you're just doing the same thing everybody else is doing. You know, mm. welcome to the world. Mm. Um, you started by asking a question just a little bit ago about what are the, what are the best moods, states? Ah, I got learn. distracted. No. Thank you. Yeah, I'd love to hear <laughs> your thoughts. If you think about it, if you think about it, the times that you've really learned like really, really well, the times you've been humiliated and ashamed. I mean, when you're humiliated and ashamed, it's like, oh my God, and everybody's seeing me. What do I have to do to learn? What do I got to do? What I got to learn to not have this ever happen again because it's just too painful. I don't want to ever find myself here again. Um, and a lot of times for business owners, when you show them, hey, nobody trusts you and you're a bad manager, they're kind of humiliated and kind of ashamed. I mean, they're shocked. Um, some get mad, but, you know, that, that kind of goes with the immediate response. But when they get, when they can embrace that, 
they don't trust me and I'm, I'm a bad manager and it's, it's kind of humiliating. It's kind of embarrassing. And yes, they want to learn how that, they don't want to have that happen again. So they, they need to learn to not interfere with the management and the micromanagement and having their fingers in everything on a day-to-day basis because what it tells their people is you can't do it. You're not going to do it right. Uh, are you familiar with the movie Casino? Robert De Niro's role. Remember that he's talking to the big, dumb, the, the county guy, manager's brother-in-law. Somebody ripped off one of the slot machines and he's, you know, basically tells us three ways to do things, the right way, the wrong way, and my way. We do things my way around here. And that's what most business owners do. It's my way. I don't care what you want it, you know. So if you keep interfering, you keep looking over their shoulder, what you're telling them is you can't do it. I don't trust you to do it my way. Um, I, I don't think you're competent. In fact, here's something that you see is fairly common. This whole thing about distinctions. Um, what is a distinction? What is a distinction? You know, the more distinctions you have, or the finer distinctions you have, have, the bigger moves you can make. So imagine yourself, you're in a room, and they turn out all the lights. Now, you know where the floor is because you're standing on it. And you can feel your way to the wall, but without the light, you don't have no idea of where the furniture is, what the colors are, nothing. When you turn on the light, all of a sudden, a lot of distinctions come up for you. So just think about in business. You have, you know, somebody who's, clerk level or, or something that they, they work a machine in the production line, but all they know is you do this stuff and it produces this stuff, not why or how or whatever. And the owner who's been at it for 20 years knows exactly how the machine works in all kinds of different ways. But they, you know, the worker does something that doesn't, that produ- produces an outcome that's not desired. A lot of times the, what the owner comes from is like, what are you stupid? Can't you see? No, they don't have your distinctions. They don't have the distinctions you have. They don't see what you see. It's all, you know, it's all kind of the same. It's just kind of like when the, the conquistadors showed up in South America. Now, these are these are some stories from history that I've read. I, I, you know, wasn't there. I can't vouch for it. But the Indians couldn't see the ships offshore because they didn't have a distinction of ship. They did not have this sea, you know. And then they rode on horses. They thought they were gods. Right. They didn't have distinctions. Now, this is an animal that these guys use for transportation and war and whatever. I mean, eventually they got it. But at first it was they didn't have the distinctions. Um, think of it this way. A distinction in, uh, say, some computer software, Excel. If you're new at Excel and you're trying to figure it all out and stuff, you don't know any of the shortcuts. But somebody comes along and shows you how to do the something. You know, you just hit the something and do the total and sums it up for you. Or how to do pivot tables or, you know, how to do the little calculations and the if so things. And all of a sudden, now you have all these distinctions. You can make much bigger, much more effective moves than just it's a spreadsheet and you're kind of putting some numbers around and maybe some text, and, but it's not really all that effective for you. So when you have a lot of distinctions, now you can take big swaths of data, turn them into pivot tables. You can do the if so. You can do all the stuff. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, Excel's a pretty amazing program. But if you don't have distinctions, eh, it's just another spreadsheet. I don't know. Am I talking too long? Not at all. It's fascinating. Okay. Um, I want to go back to this, this activity you do getting uh, at the start where you speak to it, all the customers and the stakeholders and employees, we, these new clients of yours, and then you deliver the owner, the, the great news, hey, they don't trust you and this is the, the 360-degree feedback 
that I've just gotten for you. Um, I'd love to know when you do that, uh, you know, how, how easy is it for the business owner to accept that information and then make change? And, you know, what do you see as being the right mindset or the, the, the attitude of that business owner to get the, the, the greatest level of change and success? Right. Um, it depends how much ego they have involved, you know, depends how much ego they have in the game. A really massive ego, it's going to take some, it's going to take some, you know, some conversation, some distinctions about what is trust, what is being a good manager versus what is being a good entrepreneur, where the most valuable contribution to the thing is, where they're wasting time. In other words, they need to see because, and again, in our prior conversation, we talked about why business owners or why anybody who wants to do better needs coaches. I mean, the premier world athletes all have more than one coach, in fact. Why? Because you can't see yourself in the performance of what you do. The coach can. Not only that, really great coaches have distinctions that you don't have, right? How to make a better, it's basketball, how to make a better jump shot, how to do your foul shots effectively. They can watch you, you know, how you dribbling the ball, how you running, how you, whatever. Um, a coach sees you in action and can give you feedback and give you distinctions that will help improve your performance. So business owners, <clears throat> I've lost the point we were making uh, that I was trying to make. Um, business owners can't see themselves in practice. So you have to give them some distinctions, some examples of how they're wasting their time getting lost in minutiae and trying to micromanage, how they're really, you know, some distinctions and watching them try to manage it. Just like, that's not effective. What you, you just had another meeting, told employees what you're going to do, and it's not going to work. Just like none of the other meetings you've done in the last 20 years have worked. You know, you keep having the same chronic problems. What's the Einstein expression? Insanity. Definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. That's what you've been doing. It's crazy. So by giving them good examples and good distinctions of their where they perform well, where they don't perform well, and what's missing for them, they begin to get it. But yeah, I mean, it depends on the amount of ego they have. A lot of times it depends on how much suffering they've been at. You know, if they've been suffering a long time about, man, this just isn't it, and I'm tired of this business, I don't have any time for myself, I'm always pulled into these, these brush fires or everybody, they're throwing hand grenades in my lap that I got to defuse, and I don't get to do what I want to do. I don't get to go do business. I can't take time off, I, you know. So if they've been suffering and they're ready for something different, then it's much easier. But if they bring it in kind of as a, I want somebody to come in here and tell me how great I am, it's a very difficult conversation. Do you also say no to customers? Yeah, I do. I mean, there's, there's been some that, as I said, I'm not a psychologist, I don't know. But if I get a strong sense, you're narcissistic mm. and sociopathic, it's never your fault. You don't want to change anything. It's all about coming and fix these idiot employees of mine. Uh, I'm not willing to change anything. And you tell them they don't trust you and you're not a good manager. It's like, and it's, you know, they blow up, they walk out, they whatever. It's like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to work with you. There's, there's no point in it. Hmm. There's no point in it. It's just, it's going to so, cause, it's going to cause suffering for them and their employees and it'd be a major, major hassle for me. I don't, so you're looking also more for long-lasting relationships between yeah, I mean, the customer I, and yourself. The biggest part of what I do that I enjoy, uh, I think the journey has the most impact, is long-range strategic planning. Mm -hmm. 
And most businesses talk about it a lot, but they rarely do it. And why do they rarely do it? It's one of those, it's one of those practices that if you don't do it, there's no consequence next week. You know, if you don't make payroll this week, there's a big consequence. People are going people are gonna quit. You don't pay your taxes, eventually they will come get you, you know, probably within less than a couple of years. If you don't practice strategic planning, the consequence doesn't show up until down the line when you're ready to sell or retire or turn it over to kids, whatever. The business just goes where it's going to go when it's buffeted around by the forces of the markets and competition and technology, and it winds up somewhere down the road. And it may not be what you what you had in mind. So the big things about strategic planning is, let me put it this way. One of my mentors way back when told me, he said, you want to know the secret of life? Someone asked you, you want to know the secret of life? Getting exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. How do you get exactly what you want? You're you got to know exactly what you want. And most people have, take about, most people plan their vacation, take more time planning their vacation than they think about what do I really want out of life? What are my goals? How much money do I want to make? What kind of business I want to have? Yeah. What's going to be the geographic footprint? Where's going to be my market? Um, you know, all that, what kind of people do I want to attract to work in my business? You know, do I want to attract a bunch of mercenaries who are just going to be here for the paycheck and do what they got to do and they won't care if it's legal or immoral or whatever? Or do I want people who are committed to something bigger than themselves, bigger than me, some mission, some vision about taking care of some concern that's out there in the world? And it doesn't have to be altruistic. You know, it could be about business. It could be, you know, you're the best uh, flow meter company. You're taking care of all these plants that need flow meters for their, their, uh, their processes, you know, but you're going to take care of clients the best that you want loyal people. If you want all that, I mean, you got to think about it and get very specific. And a big part of finding out exactly what you want is experimenting with a lot of things you find out you really don't want. You're going you're gonna to have to try some things, you know, because you don't know. There's, there's too many options. There's too many doors open. That's, and that's part, of, uh, that's part of what I call achieving adulthood. Is adulthood is where you start closing some doors. You start limiting your choices so that you can focus on, you know, achieving mastery in something, whether that's in business or whatever it is. Um, the only way you achieve mastery is to focus. You can't, you can't, teenagers want all possibilities, all doors to be open all the time. They want to be able to go be whatever. They want to be world-class everything. You can't do that. You have a finite amount of time, a finite set of, for the most part, predetermined skills, physically, mentally, what have you. Um, so by, by find, trying a bunch of different types of things, you find out some things you really don't like, you know? Accounting. There's not a lot of people that I know of that they love accounting. (laughs) I know some. Um, You know, it's kind of like relationships, too. Uh, You know, you're a teenager, you're a young adult, whatever, and you really haven't, you really don't know what you want in a relationship. But you can find out pretty quick some things you don't want in a relationship. You know, if you've you've ever dated crazy, (laughs) like real crazy, you don't want to touch that live wire again. You know, you, you smell crazy and like you're walking away, maybe running away. So a big part of finding out what you want, especially about what you want for your business, is to, again, over time, you're going to find out some things you don't want. You can just and just close them off uh, and focus on what you do want and keep refining that and checking in that you're, t- you're achieving the short and medium term goals that will build the bigger goals that will get you to where you want. And that will develop and change over time. 
Kerry, what did you figure out as one of the main reasons why business owners sacrifice future success for uh, present predictability? Because and if it, at the end of the day, that's exactly what they do. They they remain in their comfort zone, and they're not looking ahead of the game. What's going to happen in two, three, well, five years time? Yeah, the, some of that is if they're doing really well, it's like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And you know, there's some validity to that. Why would you? Why would you want to go and screw it something when it's making a lot of money? You're you're happy doing it. You're you're not tied doing it. So that's fine. And you always have to. You know, the, the world is not static. The world is constantly changing and everything's dynamic. You have to always be looking, as a business owner, you have to constantly, you know, scanning the horizon to see what's coming at you so that you can adapt, you can change, you can move with it rather than it come in and maybe destroy you. So, yes, it's fine to be complacent at times when things are going really well, but you don't want to get complacent like this is going to be it forever because it never is. The only thing, the only thing constant is change. Change is constantly happening. So you need to learn to adapt to it and embrace it and you'll be fine, you know, but, and it's okay, like I said, it's okay to, to be complacent when things are going great. Just don't expect that to last because it won't. And that's, and I've seen a lot of businesses go down because what used to, what worked 20 years ago, they're still trying to do that and it doesn't work anymore. It hasn't worked and they've slowly degraded. They've slowly, you know, taken on too much debt. They, and eventually they, they go out of business. I'm really fascinated to know what your thoughts are, Kerry, around the people that you work with who you perceive as being six-star and what makes them six-star to then run a six-star business. Yeah. Um, again, six-star is pretty rare, you know. There's a lot of three-star, four-star that you can get to five-star, but six-star six star is a much bigger commitment. Right. It's a much, much bigger commitment. It, it sounds like it's, well, it's just, you know, it's just an addition, you know, going five star, six star, what's the difference? It's only, you know, if you're doing it uh, mathematically, it's only 20% more, but it's a huge 20% more. Um, it's, I would say it's almost double going five star to six star. And most people aren't willing to make that big of a commitment. Um, and a lot of times because <clears throat> the owner's ego, you know, What's the word I heard a long time ago? Behind every successful man is a big ego. <laughs> so even though you help them to curb their ego, kill it off a little bit, and helping them eliminate dysfunction, getting out of the minutia of the business, for them to, it has to be bigger than them. And it's hard for a lot of people to, to allow that. Um, and yeah, there have been some. There have been some, but they're not, it's not like everybody's willing to make that leap. Um, it's, it's, it's too much. They're scared that they're scared. They're going to lose control. And to an extent they do, you know, uh, you have to bring in employees. I mean, if you want your employees to up the game that much, you want your employees that invested, you're going to have to give them a piece of the pie. They're going to have to have a piece of the equity. They're going to have to have a bigger say in how things go. They're going, you can't be the complete boss anymore. And most They're not willing to do that. So, you know, so they, 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 they play a good game. They're happy. They're satisfied. They, you know, they change things up, but they don't take it to that six-star level. So what would you say are the characteristics of the business owner 
who's willing to do that and and who has a six-star business? <clears throat> well, I mean, what's what's the the base? The baseline of that is that the owner is willing to not have it be all about him, that they're committed to something bigger than themselves. I say him. And I say that I'm not trying to knock women or not include women. When I say man or him, well, I'm including mankind, both men and women, and I'm not that PC anyway. But anyway, um, yeah, so, so the business owner has to be committed to something bigger than themselves, and they're willing to not own it all and not willing they're willing to not have to control it all and not willing to have to they're willing to share some of the credit some of the some of the benefits some of the bounty of it you know if you're willing to share the the game gets to be much bigger you know look at look at companies that do really really well and then they get taken public you know those are the ones where the owners they don't have to control everything they're willing to give ownership to employees they're willing to sell the company they're willing to have a minority stake in the business and still be the ceo but they have to report to a board now, but those kinds of businesses, you, you bring in capital that you can uh, you can play a much much bigger game than if you stayed and you just did some bank financing for whatever. Um, and so, why don't you know the the vast majority of businesses never go public? Because um, even even a lot of the owners who get to that point where we could take your company public, they're not willing to give up control. So, but what they're saying is, I, I, I'm only willing to get so big. I'm only willing to play. I'm willing to keep my game small enough to where I can control it all, own it all, call all the shots. And that's a choice, you know. Could it be also with regards to losing a little bit the identity, somebody, the the identity of the founder by going public, well, giving everything out of hand? Yeah, I mean yes and no, but I mean think of Apple. Who do you think of? Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. You know, um, you, you think of uh, who's the other guy? It starts with a B. Steve, Steve, uh, not not talk with the B. Steve was was I can't pronounce his name. It's Polish. Steve was or something uh, was, like that. Wozniak. Huh? What's that? Wozniak. Wozniak. Steve Wozniak. Wozniak. You don't think of him as one of the founders of Apple, even though he was in the early stages. You know, you think of Microsoft. You think of Bill Gates. You don't think of Paul Allen. But a lot of the, you know, Dell computers, you think of Michael Dell. And again, it's not it's not universal, it's not every business, but a lot of businesses, a lot of these dynamic businesses that are brought to public, yeah, the CEO, the founder is the guy. You know, you're identified with that person. I mean, that part of part of the due diligence of bringing a company public is researching, looking at background on the founder, especially if they're gonna be part of the management going forward. You know, how big of an influence they're going to be. And if taking it public and that person gets his money and goes home, what's going to, what's that going to do to the company? Is it going to lose its direction? It's going to lose its leadership. So, yeah. So I don't, I don't, you know, and I, and I, and I see that as some people think that if they go public, their identity as being the business is going to go away. And that's part of the fear that they, they're not going to control it all. They're not going to own it all. They're not going to call all the shots. Okay, so they don't get to go public. You know, you you don't have to. Nobody's saying you do. Is is that uh, I just you know self identification really important for business owners to understand how big they want to go, who they want to impact as part of that strategic planning that you that you've talked about? I mean, yeah, you you have to you have to talk about it at some point. I mean, 
a lot of times when I first start working with them, it's way too early to talk about going public, you know. But as we get into the strategic planning, that's you know that's part of the thing. Is the question comes up: Do you ever do you ever consider taking the company public? You know, you know, you could you could get very wealthy doing that, but it has you know you get some benefits. You got to give up some stuff for it. You got to give up control. You got to give up ownership. You got to give up. You got to report to a board now because now you're the board. <clears throat> and some some find that distasteful. Others are fine with it. You know. Uh, and and again, listen. It's some of the people with the ego that like don't want to go public. Some of the guys who do go public, they still have a big ego, and what they're confident about is they'll be able to control the board. They're not worried about a board. They'll, they'll tell the board what to do. That's smarter than them. <laughs> so, in other words, ego that. is still important, but it needs to be, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it, you, it have, you have to have a check on your ego. You can't be, and again, sociopath, narcissists are drawn to executive positions they're drawn into high positions in government they're drawn into high positions in military they're drawn into high positions in everything so when you start looking at the top and i forget the the article i read of several articles i've read about the percentage of sociopaths and narcissists in uh c-level government top government and top military positions have a much higher percentage of, of sociopaths because they're attracted to that power and, you know, and, and they're good at lying. They're good at not being accountable. They're good at blaming others. They have no compunction about uh, stepping on using whatever somebody else to achieve what it is they want to achieve and maintain that power. Um, you know, so, yeah, so that, and that's part of demonstrations of that or part of, I would say, the, the societal distrust of people high up in business, government, military you know, the, you see the, the, and again, a lot of it comes down to, they don't care about us. <laughs> they don't care about us. Why should we trust them? Look at the stuff they're doing it's for their own benefit. It's for their own enrichment and they don't care about us. And there again, I'm, I'm a huge George Carlin fan. That's one of his bits where he talks about, they don't care about you. They just, they don't. So, uh, so yeah, so, so that's there. And, you know, I don't know, I don't know what can be done about it. Um, you know that there are they will find their they will find their way into those kinds of positions, but again, I don't work with with that. Then they wouldn't work with me, so we don't have a problem. Did your did your approach changed over the last twenty thirty years with the economy changes around the way how people being seen getting more as a resource, literally just a resource you can switch on switch off being fully based and assessed through performance, key indicators and stuff like that. Did that change also your approach in certain ways? Yeah. Um, the 80s were, uh, were interesting in that, the 80s and 90s to, to some extent, were interesting in that, you know, you could do corporate downsizing, you could do offshoring, and people's jobs just disappeared. You know, really demonstrated the corporation didn't care. And the executives made bigger bonuses when they did it. They offshore jobs, made bigger profits. You know, they've, the, the short-sightedness of a lot of corporate America is on quarterly earn, the next quarterly earnings rather than the next 50 years. Because uh, they're not going to get bonuses 50 years from now. They'll be dead. 
but they'll get bonuses now if they do really well. Um, so yeah, so a lot of it, you know, you, so people, employees, the labor force that's out there sees this and at, at some level it bothers them. You know, these, the, the, again, this whole thing of trust, they don't care about me. I'm just, I'm just something to be used. And when I'm not useful anymore, I'll be discarded. So if you, you know, if you're a small to medium sized business owner, you're trying to build a team of really highly committed, devoted, loyal, uh, and high skilled employees, you're going to have to, you're going to have to have that trust. They're going to, they're going to have to get that you care about them. And you, you can't just, you know, cut people whenever oh, sales are down a little bit, lay off a couple of people, you know, oh, business picked up, hire a couple of people. We can just fire them whenever you can't have that kind of a flippant attitude. Uh, people won't trust you. They won't get that you care about them. So, yeah, so I, I guess did it change me? Yeah, it made me more uh, staunch about this whole thing about trust. And I didn't really learn the whole concept of trust until the late 80s, 87. I went through some, I started, I, that's when I started some of my training in the whole thing of ontology of language, like what is trust? And again, at first what I learned was how to assess if you trust someone in some domain of action, you know, so some people, um, you can trust them to show up for dinner. You can trust them to show up if going to a movie. You can trust them for that kind of stuff. You you don't tr you don't trust them that you would loan them any money, right? That's a different domain of action. So the, give an example. You apply to a bank for say I don't know somebody right out of college. I need a thousand dollar credit card. I need a thousand dollar Visa, Mastercard, whatever. They can look at your credit score. They can look at your employment. They can look at your you know, whatever. They can look at a few things and they say yes or no based on that. You go to a bank and say, I need $100 million to expand my plant and whatever, you know, or $50 million line of credit based on receivables and inventory. And they're going to check you out. They want to see tax returns, they several years of tax returns. They want to see several years of financial statements, audited financial statements, not just. They're going to do a background check on the owner. They're going to do, they're going to want to know about who's the management team. They're going to thoroughly, what they call underwrite you before they make that big of a that big of a loan, they're going to trust you with that much money as opposed to a thousand dollar credit card. So depending on what's at risk, and again, the, the whole the whole issue of trust <clears throat> is essential to human interaction. If you don't trust somebody else, are you gonna are you gonna interact with them? No, you're not. Um, now again, when I say trust, I don't mean trust like absolutely. You know, you can trust them in different domains and not in others. So um, yeah, the whole the whole issue of trust is key um, for human interaction. I was leading to something that just slipped my mind. Yeah, so so the big thing of of whenever you trust someone, you're risking that they will disappoint you, that they will betray your trust, right? That's always a risk because they can be. You can assess them as caring. You can assess them as sincere. You can see that they're competent to do what they say they're going to do. You can see that they've got a track record of reliably fulfilling promises over time, and what can you trust people to do? Now, I heard this from a mentor a long time ago, and it kind of blew me away. But thinking about it was actually correct. So what can you trust people to do? Lie, cheat, steal, have selective memories, act in their own self-interest, reinvent history. Yeah, I mean, I see it all the time. You know, people reinvent history. No, that's not what happened. This is what you said. This is what I said. This is what we agreed on. And the other person has a 180-degree different interpretation or memory uh, a history about the, the event. So, you know, that's why it's 
I, I highly encourage if there's much at risk that it's in writing, especially when it comes to business. You know, that's why if you if you do take out a loan from a bank, they're going to have that's going to be in writing. It's not going to be, hey, welcome to Fred's bank. I loan you $100,000 on a handshake. It's not going to happen. Um, anyway, so, yeah, the, the, the whole thing of trust is you need to, number one, know or be confident at assessing trust, assessing who you can trust and for what and and also not for what, but domain of action, but for what's at risk. Is it your friendship? Is it money? Is it, I don't know, is it your life? And also the whole thing about trust is what can I do to portray myself or make myself more trustworthy? And a lot of times what happens, especially with business owners, you know, this whole conversation we're doing, with business owners is I have them, um, it's, it's an identity exercise more than anything, where they actually publicly state that I realize that I don't always come across as trustworthy. And I don't always come across as though I'm caring and I'm that, or maybe that I'm sincere or whatever it is. And I want to make it clear that I'm committed to earning your trust because it's not something that, you know, you've got to trust has to be earned, period. And people will trust you or not trust you based on what they see you do, not on what you say. So by stating this, that they're going to they're going to act differently. And they also request that they that you call them out if they show up as not caring, insincere, not reliable, whatever it is. And they also promise that they won't punish you, there'll be no retribution, there'll be no nothing. And over time, so de declaring that and requesting help and becoming more trustworthy starts, begins sort of a reset. Hmm, this is interesting. I've never seen this before. Maybe we should start to trust them. So I'm going to be skeptical and I'm going to see how they do over time. So over time, if you, if you follow your commitments and you let people call you out on when you seem less caring or you don't seem sincere, you've been on something unreliable and you don't you know, punish them, there's no retribution, that you thank them for helping you, you'll build trust a lot quicker than, okay, I try and be nicer. That's That, that ain't trust. <laughs> so, yeah, so, it, it, again, it takes a big, um, it takes the owner being willing to kill off a fair amount of ego to do that. It's, it's really courageous. And the ones that have and have successfully rebuilt their identities over time they attract you know i mean the word gets around like where's a really great place to work you know what, what place has no turnover where are the people happy where are the people bragging about where they work i mean it's kind of like what's the best what's the best restaurant in town where can you get the best steak who's the best place to, where's the best place to get your car fixed what's the best whatever who's the best doctor word gets around floats around there's good gossip going on around going on around around you and your business will attract the better people you want to attract the mercenaries. You want to attract the, the doormats. You want to attract the, I'm just, you know, I just want to do enough to not get fired. And I want to make just enough to not get, to not quit. You don't, you don't, you want to repel those people. You want to attract the people who are committed, who are loyal, who are looking for something bigger than them. That's what you're looking for. And when the good gossip gets out there, that's who's going to apply to your place of work, whether you have jobs or not. What is the most rewarding gesture of your customer apart from getting your bills paid? <laughs> um, I don't know, just 
seeing that they're satisfied that all of a sudden and watching them detach themselves from the, the day-to-day minutiae that they're getting their their dashboards, their financial dashboards once a week, they're spending an hour with them, no more than an hour with them and asking questions and they put corrections in that over time, you giving them a narrative of what their financial staying, their financial statements are saying about their business in terms of, you know, strength, liquidity, profitability, effectiveness, et cetera, that they begin to understand it and they begin to see opportunities for strategic moves that'll help improve their business, uh, as well as watching the dysfunction disappear after putting, having employees come together to put together processes, procedures that eliminate the dysfunction and watch the business owner actually begin to really enjoy owning the business again. Because a lot of times, by the time I get there, they're not enjoying the business. I mean, they're just not. It's they hate to come to work. It's you know they're worried about the what's the crisis of the day. They worried that they wake up at two in the morning wondering if you know whatever taxes are paid or bills are paid because you know they just keep getting surprised with stuff. And the really most rewarding part for me long term has been working with some businesses that have hung in there with the long range strategic planning and actually designed themselves into the future much bigger than they would have been had they stayed just in the drift of things. That makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. Corey's nodding. <clears throat> I'm, you know, there's some themes coming out of this conversation, and you, you know what's coming to mind for me, Carrie, is the business owner needs to have a level of, shall we say, like you said, courage, mm-hmm. uh, self awareness, yeah, and I guess some faith that going into the unknown and letting go of parts of their ego or changing the way they communicate and changing the way they behave is going to reap rewards. So this is really a, a, a shift internally of that right. business owner. It, yeah. it is. It's, it's, I mean, because the typical model of business we have is very transactional. You have this business that offers products, services, whatever. Customers come in, you hire people to do a certain job, they do the job, you pay them, and that's it. Unfortunately, you have human beings involved, not robots. You know, people have concerns, they have backgrounds, they have stories. We all have narratives, right? We all have narratives. Let me ask you this. Are you prejudiced? Are you prejudiced? Yeah? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. 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 And again, maybe in America, it's a different connotation. Prejudice generally means racist. That's not it at all. Prejudice is to, be, to have prejudged things. So if you think about it, you already have a lot of things you like and don't like, certain things you see as good, certain things you see as bad. You have a lot of preferences about food, clothing, surroundings, you know, the style of your home, your car, the kind of work you do. You're prejudiced like crazy, for and against whatever, you know. Makes sense, don't make sense, like it, don't like it, good, bad, right, wrong. You have a whole bunch of stuff. So it's like right here. And I'm going to ask you to put your hand back here where you can't see them. You see that? They're moving? I can't, I mean, I can see on monitor from here, I can't see him moving. And that's going on all the time. Let me say it a different way. We're always speaking. I mean, 93% of communication is nonverbal. So we're always speaking. At the same time, we're always listening, right? And we listen and we speak out of the narrative or the interpretation, all the prejudices that we have about what's going on in the world. Put it a different way, animals have pretty close to a direct biological experience of life. We don't. All of our experiences are interpreted. Interpreted. Because we can't look at something and say, 
X, Y, Z, you know, good, bad, like it, don't like it, pretty, ugly, want it, don't want it. All that stuff comes into play. You can't just have black microphone. You know, you're going to have a bunch of other prejudicial assessments and narratives that go on, and they're always going on in your head. You can't turn them off. And I'll give you an example of it right now. You're telling yourself, does this make sense? Does this make not make sense? Good, bad, like it, don't like it. Right, wrong, you're, you're having that narrative right now. You can't put language down. It's a tool you can't put down. Let me see if I can find a book real quick. Ah. <clears throat> a good buddy of mine, uh, Chalmers Brothers, in fact, a long, long time ago, he was a student of mine, not for very long. He wrote this book, Language in the Pursuit of Happiness, a while back, and goes to the whole thing of language and being an observer being an observer of the observer when you can look and see this going on you can see how you are in interactions then you get to intervene on some of the automatic what we call thrown responses you have when somebody says whatever you're old you're stupid you're i don't know you're inadequate you're good you're bad i like you i don't because all those Whatever happens, we get perturbed. Our, our, our linguistic structure lives within our biology, and that's always getting perturbed, always because we have all this feedback coming in, sight, sound, touch, everything. So the narrative is always getting perturbed to put out a response. Does that make sense? So when somebody, you know, somebody calls you, whatever, they, they identify you as what they think they're doing. They're identifying you, perturbing your identity or your what you think is your identity or th who you think you are, and it generates a response, whether you want to or not. You can't help it. Once you get to be a good observer of the observer you are, you can intervene on a lot of that automatic thrown responses, but it takes practice, practice, practice over time. It takes a good coach because uh, what your ego is, wanna, is going to do is like, no, that's not it. That's not right. They're wrong. No, I know better. I know me better than anybody else. Generally, it's observers of ourselves. We are the poorest. And the thing is, everybody else can see this, right? Everybody else can see your stuff. You can't. So, yeah, so with these business owners, it's, it's a big thing of trying to get them to see what other people see about them. And that's really humiliating sometimes. That's really embarrassing. Oh, my God, is that what I look like? Yeah, that's what you look like. Ready for a change? <clears throat> so. Um, yeah, the, the, it's, it's part of the, uh, I call it part of the maturation proce process. It's part of growing up. It's part of becoming an adult where you're willing to let your ego die a bit so that you can become bigger than, you know, your teenage self. You know, teenagers are very concerned about being right. They're concerned about being liked. They, they allow everyone on the planet to characterize or judge them, and they take it all very personally. Um, they, they're a lot of times they're late. They get distracted. They're irresponsible. They're not rigorous. Um, and not, I, mean, I say that about teenagers. I'm calling that the teenage discourse, the teenage discourse. And I know people in their 80s are still teenagers. They're still locked in the teenage discourse. Never their fault. Um, they don't like being responsible. You know, they whine a lot. Yet they they crave being uh, accepted. You know, they still crave their parents or society's acceptance and that they're good people. And that. You know, what's the biggest thing that parents hear from their teenagers? You don't care about me. You don't get me. You know, um, the rebel without a clue stuff. 
Um, and like I told my kids a long time ago, I'm not here to be your friend. I'm not here to, when I tell you what to do, it's not for you to agree with, understand, like it, anything. It's for you to do it. I'm clear that you can't see what I see. And you will as you get older. And I tried to explain it to you right now. You wouldn't get it. Doesn't matter. Do what I do what I say and do as I do. And you will get it. And yes, I went through that. You don't care about me stuff in their teenage years. And guess what? When they got to be in their mid-20s, like, you know what, Dad? You were right. <laughs> You're right. I understand now about hard work and discipline and being rigorous. And makes sense now. Anyway, personal anecdote. Another book that I really like, and I don't know this gentleman, but it, it's, it's called The Thin Book of Trust. All right. Um, second edition. I just got my second edition in. It is by Charles Feltman. That's who it is. Um, and again, he goes through the whole thing of the four distinctions of, of trust. Uh, and again, as I've said, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know that it's possible to do any kind of major personal transformation without some kind of a coach. You really have because you can't see yourself perform. Period. Michael Jordan had coaches. Uh, O.J. Simpson. Okay, not such a good example. Um, I mean, name some top, some top athletes. Uh, uh, they all have all, coaches. All of them. Yeah. Yeah, multiple coaches. Yeah. Strength coaches, training coaches, mm. execution coaches, mental coaches, all that stuff. Because you can't see yourself perform, and they have distinctions that you don't. Yeah. So, what do you think, Corey? You, you kind of have a you kind of have a smile on your face. Um, I, always because what 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 you just shared with me with us sorry yeah is sounds pretty familiar to me and every time when I'm smiling I'm just resonating and just seeing my own stories just passing my mind yeah <laughs> okay so now I, I was just checking again you were speaking I was listening it's like there's something going on there that's that's good that is yeah okay <clears throat> Totally yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I mean, we have been also in the corporate world, Evelyn and I. I think I survived a little bit longer than Evelyn, or she was smarter and stepping out early than I did. <laughs> and so everything you did, every, every every example you just brought up, I, I can just resonate. I can give you hundreds of examples as well. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we all we all fight with our egos and doubts on ourselves and our capabilities, limit ourselves, don't communicate so that others are in, start in, doing their interpretations based on our mimic and gesture, and that normally goes totally south. Yeah, and then there is a disconnect which shouldn't be, as you said. I mean, the, 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 the most rewarding thing for you is if you see people coming into the company being happy, which they haven't been for the last two decades. Yeah. And literally, you didn't do much. You didn't do much. You just uh, you just showed the business owner, reflected a little bit, put the mirror on up yeah, to show him, look, this is actually happening. So you need to you need to adjust your mindset. Yeah. You need to pay attention to certain areas where you haven't been. You have been too comfortable in what you're doing. Yeah. And yeah, it, it everything comes down to people and relationships. That's my belief. And I'm like Evelyn as well. So regardless of how automated, digitized the world is, it's mm -hmm. always run by people. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah human, human beings are, are, I mean, we're messy. 
we're very messy. Yeah, I, I enjoy that about people. I really do. I enjoy, you know, the messiness of people. And I tend to hang out with the, um, I don't say the freaks and the geeks, but the outliers, the people that other people see, <laughs> kind of, eh, it's kind of a weirdo, whatever. They're, they're interesting. Uh, I mean, I, I like, I like all people, but I, I really, I've always found myself hanging out with uh, those that were sort of shunned by, um, I guess, mainstream what do you want to call it? The popular people, happy, shiny people. I like, I, I resonate with that. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you're here. Um, there's, uh, yeah, I can see how we could keep talking for another hour, but I'm really respectful of our time and just want to thank you, Kerry, for everything that you've shared today. It's been, it's been really insightful to hear from you in that respect, in terms of your experience and how you help people, but also this human nature side to us and how that is so important um, in order for us to just have a better life. You know, business, it's not just about the money. You know, you've talked about the employees and the importance of those relationships and it's all our relationships, like Corey just said. Um, I'm wondering... Is there, is there sort of something that you could leave our listeners with as we come to a close, maybe some tidbit or advice or something that you'd like to share with them as a, as a parting kind of thought, however long it takes? I, I don't know. what The thing I always leave, I, I always try and get people to focus on is, are you satisfied? You know, the whole thing about satisfaction and the secret life of getting exactly what you want. Are you getting exactly what you want? especially if you're a business owner, is your business performing the way you want it to? Are you, is it giving you enough time? Is it giving you enough reward, enough satisfaction um, that you're, you know, you're okay with it? Are you, are you satisfied with where it's headed or do you even know where it's headed? You know, the, again, what's going to really, what's really going to make the difference, what's going to produce moods of peace, ambition, joy, gratitude, everything else is getting exactly what you want. Right. I mean, think about it this way. If you never if you never think about what was going to satisfy you. My experience has been that people walk around in this. If only my life were more better, different, I'd be happy. Right. If only I had more money, better relationship, uh, different job, I'd be happy. OK, well, what specifically, you know, uh, and the, the, the equation that I learned right way back when was satisfaction equals enough action. So you make more money, how much more money? How much money would satisfy you? What kind of relationship would satisfy you? Like, what would the other person do? Not the way they make you feel, because they can't make you feel anything. Feelings happen internally. They get triggered. But what would you want the other person to do that would demonstrate to you that, you know, they cared about you, they loved you, that there was a relationship? Uh, what kind of job do you want to have? How, you know, how you want to be fulfilled in a job? Do you want to be just a mercenary somewhere and just do it for the money and come home and don't worry about it? Or do you want something that's going to be bigger than you? You know, if you don't spend time reflecting on what's going to satisfy you, if you don't, if you never find out exactly what's going, what's, what's ultimately going to satisfy you, you will never be ultimately satisfied, period, period. So, you know, maybe not spend so much time planning next year's vacation, spend some time on what's going to really make you satisfied and work towards that. And that's for everybody, not just business owners. Yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty good, pretty good stuff. I 
I so resonate with that and I'm sure our listeners will as well. Corey, have you got any final thoughts or questions for Perry? No, since you said don't plan your next vacation, I would say I would just add pay attention to your day-to-day stuff. So going for lunch with colleagues, respect them, listen to them. So the things you keep doing on a day base, because if they are are filled with kindness, respect, love, yeah, that actually makes you satisfied over time. Yeah. And your and your vacation on top of that is like the cherry on the on the cream. Yeah, yeah listen, I'm not I'm not saying don't take a vacation. I'm saying No, 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 of course it, I instead, instead of planning instead of taking all this time to plan a really knocked out vacation, spend some more yeah. time on what it is that's really gonna all satisfy you in life. And yes, yeah. as you say, going to lunch with colleagues or I say invest in relationships because relationships mm-hmm. take work, they take time, um, they take commitment. Uh, yeah. That's why I don't, I have a lot of acquaintances. I have very few close friends mm-hmm. because, because the amount of effort, time, everything else that close friends require. And, uh, but it's very rewarding. Yes. Friendships are Absolutely. very rewarding. Absolutely. You can just mm-hmm. be you with them and they're fine with it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, that is a beautiful note to to wrap up on, and uh, I want to thank you so much, Kerry, for all your insights and wisdom, uh, ontology references, distinctions, talking about trust, and everything in between. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yes. Thank Thanks you very much for having me. It's been my pleasure. It's been my honor talking to you both. Thank you. All right.